Welcome to Cannabis and Consciousness, where we talk and spill about metaphysical practices, tapping into the authentic self, and the journey on the spiritual path of life. I'm your host, Dominique, and I'm a Reiki healer, wire wrap jewelry maker, and local artist on the SF Bay Area Peninsula. My whole life, I've been drawn to the spiritual path after experiencing many strange and unusual circumstances stemming from a broken childhood, difficult relationships, and a near-death experience. I question everything and invite you to listen and learn about various metaphysical subjects that have brought me to the very point in time I am today. I'm no expert, but this stuff is really interesting, and if you're a spiritual skeptic like I used to be, the universe brought you into this podcast for a reason. Let's explore that reason together. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in again. I'd like to let you know that today's topic was a very big commitment for me to get through. I think oftentimes we think the spiritual path is on its way to a close or kind of like a hiatus, a brighter and less painful path, or you feel content with where you are and to explore more can feel taxing and tedious. And in this episode, I I was re-exploring a lot of past wounds and that brought a lot of lethargy. It's it's not at all to say I didn't enjoy exploring this topic. It's just that there's so many layers to it. I nearly didn't know where to start. I also would like to point out that a majority of the topics I've already discussed are so natural for me to talk about because they're already something I've experienced personally and very consistently. So I know them to be very true to me and who I am. And so They flowed very freely uh, when I chose to discuss them. But man, when it comes to the ego, this is another beast. This is something that many try to tackle their whole lives. So you guessed it, today's episode of Cannabis and Consciousness, we're going to talk about the ego. And boy, it's going to love and hate that. I'm going to get deep with you and tell you some intimate details about my life, how I made it to where I am today, and how I've worked with my ego to get here. We're also going to discuss getting in touch with your authentic self. How does the ego cause us to stray from our authentic self? What can we look for in order to know we're on the path to being the truest and rawest version of ourselves? Are there signs? And how do we know when we're out of touch with who we are? There are always going to be many points, uh, ways to point yourself back to your true path if you ever veer off course. One of my favorite quotes by an unnamed author is, no matter the hurt you have suffered, your true self cannot be smothered or lost. If that resonates, keep listening. This is the most vulnerable I think I've ever decided to be, so if you want to hear about an underdog story, you're in for a treat. So, what is the ego? Well, the ego is that voice in your head that gives you all kinds of chit-chat in the background all day long. It's what dictates your positive and mental state, if you allow it. It has no other job other than to give input with no basis on any actual fact-based information. It's what gives each human being an individualistic view and perspective on the world. It's basically equivalent to a whiny child that didn't get its way, and now it wants you to pay for what you didn't feed it. 
It's in constant need of validation and attention, whether that be negative or positive. It's the one that exclaims, oh my god, we got 100 likes on our picture today. Look how awesome we are. But it's also the one that goes, oh my god, did you look how stupid we look in that picture? Why did our friend tag us in that? We look awful and our outfit looks like shit and we're having a bad hair day, etc, etc. But if you allow yourself to get too caught up in your ego, you're in for a very unhappy time. It starts to dictate all of your life's decisions, and before you know it, you're one very sensitive toddler with the complex of Napoleon. But we can find healthy ways to transform the relationship we have with ego. We want to find ways to coexist with our egos through various outlets, and finding ways to go into situations and relationships without judgments or expectations. When we do this, that is when we start on the journey back to our authentic self. The ego, or the idea of ego, first came from Sigmund Freud, an Austrian neurologist and founder of psychoanalysis, which is, you know, when you see a therapist and talk all of your shit out. Ego comes into play as one of three elements that Freud believed made up a human's personality. He believed that there is the id, which is the primitive and in instinctive side of us that might activate something like our flight or uh, fight or flight. And it also controls our sexual desire and our impulse and unconscious decisions. Then we have the ego, which is the part of id that's been modified by the direct influence of the external world, but can also be influenced by superego. Now, superego are supposed to refer to your values and morals of society, which are learned from your parents or others around you. And it typically controls the impulses of the id and persuades ego to turn to moralistic goals. So through many religions and spiritual journeys, the ego has been identified as the element of our personality that we need to let go of. The more we feed into it, the larger it gets until it becomes so inflated that we forget that we are humble celestial beings that all come from the same planet birthed by a woman and one day to be laid to rest in the ground or cremated or sleeping with the fishes and none of the shit we're dealing with today, tomorrow or the next day is going to matter. The ego is a way we identify ourselves. It makes up our ideals that were formed as opinions growing up or the values that were instilled in us that might not have any factual basis. Do you ever stop and ask yourself, why am I the way I am? Who taught me to be this way? Or is this a whole nature versus nurture debate? We're not going to open that can of worms today, but we are going to identify that the fact that we probably have a base personality and temperament. And along our timeline, we are forced to face different circumstances and different situations that sometimes end up helping us to create a foundation of the way we think things ought to be. All of this is ego trying to make sense of the world instead of realizing we already know everything we need to know at the exact moment and space and time that we're presently at this very moment. Ego needs and authentic self is never lacking and knows we have everything we need. So let's talk a little bit about the authentic self. The authentic self is your soul and the most raw version of yourself that is uninhibited by anything in the external world. It is who you are at your very core. 
If you can think back to when you were a child before your views were ever skewed one way or another, this is going to be the closest version you can get to your authentic self. As the years go by, we experience many different situations and circumstances and start to come more from a place of ego in order to protect ourselves and give ourselves a way of making guided decisions. Maybe we had one too many times we ended up in a shitty situation that was out of our control or by having exposed ourselves to a negative environment or people um, who made us question our trust in ourselves. The issue with this growing process is that we get stuck in our old opinions and what should be growth turns into stagnancy while we cling to ideas of what we think should be. We tend to forget about the impermanence of life and we get caught up in how we think things ought to be instead of accepting that everything is exactly as it should be. When you start to get in touch with your authentic self and your soul, you are in for an amazing treat. You'll feel more intuitive, more at peace, and more trusting of the universe in general that it's guiding you. So how can you know which side of the coin you're operating from? How can you know if you're more in touch with your ego or if you're seeing things from the more uninhibited scope through the eyes of your soul? Here are some signs. When you're operating from the ego, you're going to experience separateness. Uh, You know, not really feeling like you belong anywhere. You're just an individual, a lone ranger. You're also going to experience judgments, Um, some ignorance, which definitely goes hand in hand with judgment, hostility, resentment, pride. You're going to complain a lot. You know, you're trying to feed this ego that's always going to be unhappy and nothing is going to fulfill it. You're going to experience jealousy, um, insecurity, fear, anger, power, materialism. You know, ego is really based on what it has and what it's able to gain out of a situation. So materialism is definitely an issue with ego. Perceived knowledge, um, war comes from ego, indifference, past and future oriented thoughts. You know, it's really hard when you're caught up in your ego to actually be present. You're going to experience self-importance, egoism, self-denial. You're basically going to go out into the world with a mask on. You know, it's, it's an internal chatter at all times. You're constantly seeking and you you you're not happy with anything that's actually going on. That's all ego-based. But when you're operating from the soul or your authentic self, you will actually be experiencing quite the opposite. You're going to experience oneness. You're going to know that you are a vital part of the operation and that everybody around you is also a vital part of the operation. And what they do affects you and what you do affects them. You're going to experience compassion. You are going to feel can resonate a lot more with other people. Uh, You're going to feel enlightenment. You're going to feel friendly. You're going to feel forgiveness. Um, You're going to be able to pardon people a lot more. You're going to feel humble. You're going to feel gratitude, not as possessive as you typically would because you're going to know that Anything that's currently in your grasp is going to be there for as long as it needs to be. And if it needs to go, it will go. You're going to experience happiness, equality, spiritualism, wisdom, peace, empathy, you know, now orientation, knowing that you're, you're present, 
the importance of others, uh, selfless concern for the well-being of others, self-acceptance, authenticity, stillness. You're just going to have an overall feeling of knowing because you are supported by the universe and you're accepting that as fact. So I'm going to jump into now sharing my personal story. I'd like to share a little bit of my personal journey and how I went from operating at a very egotistical, closed off, lonely space to the person I am today who thrives when she's able to tap into her personal truth and soul purpose intuitively. I think we still live in a world where vulnerability is frowned upon and when someone has the audacity to actually display their vulnerability and open up, it tends to awaken something in other people. And sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. You know, people are only going to go as deeply with you as they've gone with themselves. So, you know, but hey, that, that just means that those people are probably operating from their judgmental ego. And I'm doing my best to not do that. So, I'm going to go ahead and do my best to share my life story in a short amount of time because, you know, life story, been here for about 28 years. It's a long one, but we'll start off simple. I'm a Bay Area native and have grown up on the peninsula my entire life, bouncing around between Burlingame, Foster City, and San Mateo. And I'm not talking about the booming and bustling Bay Area the way it is now. I'm talking talking simpler times where it was still expensive to live, but it was possible. I grew up in a poor family. We were on food stamps and there was four of us living in a one bedroom apartment, which nowadays is still very common. Uh, I have a very unreliable father who was always in and out of new jobs because his mind was never still enough to work from the bottom. My mom was always hardworking and was making, you know, as much as she could for the family, uh, a lot on her shoulders. And as much as they tried to do for me and my sister, every day I lived in fear. My father was emotionally, physically, mentally, and sexually abusive. And my mom grew up in a family full of addicts. And she became the perfect codependent wife to my dad, enabling him and constantly on her toes to keep him happy so he wouldn't hurt anyone. I saw one too many times as he beat the shit out of her, broke her bones, or dragged her out of the car on the side of the road when he got pissed about any little thing. Apparently, the straw that broke the camel's back that caused my mom to divorce him was after another violent bout he had. At the time, I was around five years old, and my dad had injured his back at work, where he cleaned submarines for the military. He used to be in the military. He got a fat settlement of $10,000 and blew it all on a used Camaro, which ran out of gas one day, so he left it overnight on the side of the road. The next day, we all piled into the other car we had uh, in our apartment garage in Burlingame. My dad forgot something upstairs, and right before he left to go grab it, he opened the hood of the car we sat in took something off the engine so we couldn't leave and disappeared upstairs. Before he came back, I turned to my mom, about the age of five, and very simply said, Mom, is daddy going to kill us? Luckily for me, this was enough to awaken something in her soul, in her authentic self, that whispered very loudly, your daughter should not fear for her life or think that her father is going to kill her. 
When my dad came back, he fixed whatever had been disconnected beneath the hood. And we started our way back to the Camaro that had broken, you know, well, had lost gas on the side of the road. As we approached the other vehicle, we cried and cried, saying we wanted to stay with our mom, and my dad was bent about it, but didn't want to hear the whining and let us stay with her. We got back into the family car as he filled the Camaro tank, and we waited for him to drive out in front of us. On our way back to the apartment, my dad went through a yellow light, and my mom took this as an opportunity to, you know, put some space between them and veer around a corner and take off, telling us that we were going to go on a vacation because my sister and I were like, what's going on? Um, After many trying years going back and forth with the court system to make sure she gained full custody, uh, you know, one or two restraining orders later, we were out of his grasp for the most part. But along with all of that came new changes and landmines to avoid when we moved in with my grandparents. We went from one place I didn't feel safe to another place I didn't feel safe. My uncle lived with us and is a bipolar alcoholic. He over-sexualized me, commenting on my body growing up and making me feel like I needed to make myself small so that I didn't feel uncomfortable as my chest and my, my ass filled out my clothes. One minute, he'd be inappropriately complimenting me. And the next, he'd be calling me fat, telling me I was a pig, comment on the shape of my face, cuss at me constantly, and just making me, in general, feel worthless. The cops were always coming to the house looking for him for another fight he'd gotten into at a bar, and my grandparents would distract them while my uncle slipped out the back door. He also became physical with my mother, and I got to see them brawl once or twice. And he headed, he had ended up moving out which just made space for my aunt to come in, and this situation wasn't any better. My aunt was a meth head for 10 years and would go missing for weeks at a time. Then she'd show back up for a little while, but in her spiraling come down from drugs, she would say awful and disgusting things to me and my sister. She was still doing drugs when she had her first child, who died the same day of her birth from a hole in her heart. The years later later after that she had another baby girl but she went to jail for credit card theft and helped take care of my new cousin who was just a few months old. I remember being nine years old cradling her and rocking her as she cried because no one else was able to calm her down the way that I was. Then there was my grandfather roaring temper inconsiderate domineering dominating masculine energy that made everyone around him cower in discomfort or fear. My grandma was always very weak, allowing him to run the show and taking her place as the beta while we all resumed our places in the lower tier of the hierarchy. As the years passed, I got involved in relationships with abusive partners myself. I'd allow them to hit me, to demean me, call me names, control me, ridicule me, and I'd resume the role that I'd seen growing up, allowing all this disgusting behavior to take place just because... I thought this was how people showed that they loved each other. Over the years, I paid attention to how others received me as a human being, even as a child. Lots of people were intimidated by me, standoffish, and I I didn't have a lot of friends. I'd say things with a quick tongue, out of touch with what compassion and empathy were. I just didn't understand why what I was trying to put out was being computed differently by the people receiving my energy and the things that I said. 
I was having panic attacks starting at the age of five or six. I was depressed and I was lost. And still there was a piece of myself that always whispered intently, you deserve so much more. You are a good soul. Don't let this change who you are. Now, I don't know when it first started. I think this guiding energy was always there at my most trying moments. I think that's why I'm a functioning human in society today and not a total asshole basket case that's been locked away and succumbed to the pressure. It's why I got in touch with my poetic self when I was 15 after I had uh, my heart broken by a boy for the first time. It's why I stayed true to making art and creating and keeping my mind off the bullshit that was going on around me. It was also the reason why I sought out therapy at the age of 16 when I was having panic attacks so bad I was disassociating and having out-of-body experiences in school. Through treatment, I tried many medications, never satisfied with the side effects, but I continued to get help and see therapists and go to group therapy appointments. Therapists have told me I was raised by wolves, but I still rated my childhood as a C plus because seeing the beauty in trying and disgusting circumstances was how I survived. I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and told I might be bipolar as well. I suffered from bouts of depression and would isolate myself from other people because I didn't know how to interact and thought for sure that it was all my fault. But slowly over the years, I allowed myself to open up to those around me. I asked questions. I found better ways to speak to others and was sympathetic to their feelings instead of viewing emotions as a weakness. I started listening to my soul's calling and started shedding old relationships and friendships that were no longer suiting me. I started listening to my personal intuitive truth. I acknowledged myself for the resilient fucking phoenix, lioness, celestial being that I am. My point in telling this story at all is just to illustrate what happens when a soul is not properly watered and given nourishment for success when you're young and operating from a very bare, authentic self already. And also, your ego might actually be able to help you if you let it and utilize it wisely. I was egotistical because it was the way I could survive and protect myself. But after the survival was over and I realized I didn't have to live my life looking over my shoulder, I was able to truly get in touch with the universe. I'd always believed that everything happens for a reason and that I needed to surrender because ultimately I have no control over what comes my way, only control over how I handle the situations. I read all of the self-help books, some of which still sit on my shelves untouched, but I'll get to them one day. And I did things that made my soul happy and made me feel at peace. I took up Reiki and learned about consciousness and paying attention to the signs. I continued to go to therapy and have continued to do so for the last 12 years. I found through meditation that I could quiet my mind by simply accepting what I was feeling and thinking without judging it. I found out how to be compassionate with myself when I was having an off day and when to acknowledge how marvelously present I felt other days. I learned more that I could become closer to my authentic self, to my beautiful soul that kept me alive all of these years. 
All I'm saying is there's always going to be a part of you that knows what the right thing to do for yourself is. It is the core of you. It is the piece of you that survives in the face of injustice and what gives you anxiety and pains you when you're not following your destiny and you're on the wrong path. Pay attention. You're already at peace if you allow yourself to be. I grew up around individuals who were never and still aren't following their path and are working strictly from their egos at all times. Some might call this narcissism. I call it a spiritual and existential crisis because they've been ignoring their soul's calling for so long. Regardless, my authentic self nods at this turn of events because it knows that my actual soul calling was to experience this life. So, What are some things people can do in order to get back in touch with their authentic self when they veered off the path their soul is calling for? I actually found a website uh, that produced this article to finding your authentic self again. And here are some questions from mindbodygreen.com that you can ask yourself in order to get closer to your soul again. So question number one is, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? We all had a dream when we were little, but people get sidetracked from their dreams by status, money, responsibility, and life. So picture yourself in your childhood dream. Do you see that smile and that positive energy? That can actually be your life. Maybe your dreams have changed over the years, but there is always the capability of tapping into what you truly desire and what sets your soul on fire. You just have to give yourself an opportunity to spread your wings and Try different hobbies and see what it is that you excel at. Also, here's question number two. What makes you laugh? Laugh at what you find funny. Who cares if the person next to you is laughing? Though, with my twisted mind, I advise not doing this at funerals. (laughs) Laughing feels good. Makes us happier people. Sets us free to enjoy the life we are living. Laughter is a powerful tool that can change your mood and your perception of what's happening in the moment. Enjoy the smile and the feeling of happiness rising inside of you. Question number three, what clothes do you feel most comfortable in? It doesn't matter if you like dressing in suits every day or prefer cotton shirts and no shoes. Wear what makes you comfortable, obviously forbidding any work dress codes, but Make sure you find times of the day when you're most comfortable. If you wear a bra, pull that sucker off as soon as you get home. If you wear tight jeans, get those off and throw those cozy sweatpants on that you've been looking forward to all day. Question number four, what activities do you enjoy? When's the last time you set aside and let yourself become wrapped up in something that really makes you feel free? Maybe you like to write or draw or paint. Maybe you enjoy being with animals or around like-minded individuals. Why don't you join a club? Go volunteer at the Humane Society. Do whatever it is that is going to keep your soul happy. Question number five, and this is the last question. Who can you be yourself around? There are people in our lives who allow us to feel like we're not going to be judged. These people are our soulmates. And I'm not talking only romantically. I believe we have an infinite number of soulmates. I think that on some level, there's a piece of us in each person we meet, and it's just a matter of tapping into that and letting our souls blossom together. So take the time to sit with the souls who resonate with you. Pick up all those good vibrations and pay attention to how it makes you feel. All of these are great ways to get back in touch with your authentic self, even if just for a little while. Once you tap into what fulfills you, you can work toward making those things a constant in your life and start letting go of old judgments and old ways of thinking. 
There are enlightened beings who have had the opportunity to have ego death and vibrate solely from their authentic self. I don't know if I or anyone listening to this podcast will get there, but I do know that it's possible. Thank you so much for listening today to today's episode. I hope it gave you some great insight into what the ego and authentic self are. And wherever you currently are in your spiritual journey, just know you're not alone and that we're all going through it, finding our way. And wherever you're at at the exact moment is exactly where you need to be in your journey, even if it's feeling a little rough and you're just content right now. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date on new esoteric topics each week and make sure you follow my Instagram account, cannabis and the letter N consciousness on Instagram and get sneak peeks into new episodes. Also follow my wire app page, which is Rosie D wire app spelled Rose with three E's, the letter D and wire app. Have an amazing day and take care.